Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 285. I had a conversation with Sister Irene O'Neill. She is the president of Sisters Rising Worldwide. It's an incredible organization, humanitarian nonprofit. They connect nuns all over the world. It's a this um, it's like a Facebook, but for nuns, <laughs> as best as I can describe it. It's an internal thing where they can all talk to each other all around the world and help each other help their communities with humanitarian issues, with aid and resources and education and to protect kids from trafficking and all sorts of stuff. It's really quite phenomenal. And she, uh, Sister Irene O'Neill, is phenomenal. She's also the former executive director of Sisters of St. Joseph of Carondelet Ministries Foundation. It only took me 20 tries to say Carondelet right, and I probably still got it wrong. She's the board chair also of Bethlehem University Foundation. The woman is a powerhouse. She is. She resonates with love and kindness and empathy and wisdom. I could have talked to her all day. Really, really cool woman. Um, Yeah, so I'm so excited for you to hear this episode. And it's important to note that if you'd like to help Sisters Rising worldwide, it's really easy. SRW.org. You can learn all about them even more than what we talked about on the show. So definitely check it out. They do incredible stuff for the world. And you know, we need all that. We need all the help we can get. So, all right. In other news, Hey Human can be found on Instagram and Facebook for the social media. My personal social media is Susan Ruthism. Uh, you can find heyhumanpodcast.com by going to heyhumanpodcast.com. It's that easy. And on there, you'll find a links page. Every episode gets its own links page. This one is no different. And we talk about so many fascinating things. I had a really good time putting together the links page for y'all. So lots of information there, uh, including a way to directly connect to Sisters Rising. So that's important to me as it is to them. You can email me, Susan at HeyHumanPodcast.com. Love to hear from you. Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It's super helpful and I very much appreciate it. If you want to check out more about what I do, go to SusanRuth.com and you can sign up on the mailing list there. And every once in a while, I'll send out a mailer with all sorts of fun things on it. So definitely sign up for that if you're interested. And I think that's about it. Thank you for listening. Uh, Take care of each other. Be well. Be kind. And... uh, here we go. Sister Irene O'Neill, welcome to Hey Human. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I learned about you through Michael, and he is extraordinary. And uh, I did a little project with him a few weeks ago, and we were chatting, and I noticed a pin on his lapel. And I said, oh, explain to me what the pin is for. And he said, oh, it's Sisters Rising Worldwide. I said, well, what's that? And then <laughs> he gave me a little synopsis and told me about you and just the 
the true purest love in his voice and his body language and, and everything when he talked about you and the program. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I have to, I have to talk with her. Do you think she'll talk with me? And he said, Oh, I think I could arrange that. So here we are. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad. I know yeah. Michael is so awesome. He yeah. is, he is really, uh, he spreads good news. Let me tell you. He yeah. is he is good news. He he seems to really understand uh what empathy is and and what charity is and what what the you know that true idea of what love is supposed to be that that non non reciprocity is just it is for its sake thing. Yeah. 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 So anyway, enough about Michael. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, do you prefer to be called Sister or Sister Irene or Sister you can O'Neill? call me Sister Irene. Sister Irene sounds good. Sister Irene. Okay, great. Let's start with what in the world got you to become a nun? That seemed like your everyday thing. Even if you're raised up in the Catholic school system, which is an exceptional education, th- th- still there's a, I imagine, a bit of a chasm <laughs> yeah. to get from student to nun. Exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. It is kind of a, it's kind of a long path. Well, actually, when I was young, um, we had nuns in elementary school and they were just really fun. And I thought, I I mean, I didn't think, maybe I thought, I think everybody maybe thought about being a nun, all the girls at that time, but they were just really fun. But then you get to high school and the boys are so cute. And, um, and I was in an all girls school, but we had a lot of dances and stuff. And, you know, we got to know the boys and that was really fun. So um, wasn't thinking about a nun being a nun then. And, um, and then actually we have locally, we have a nearby women's college, which is spectacular. But I thought, well, there are boys at the University of Minnesota. So I went to the University of Minnesota and I thought I would, uh, I didn't really know what I wanted to go into because I loved everything. And I thought, but maybe being a drama teacher would be really fun. And so I ended up taking a class that turns out was taught by a sister of St. Joseph, which is what I am <laughs> from the college, the women's college. And she was, um, she's an upper Midwest consultant in this. She was teaching the class was <clears throat> how to teach teachers how to teach drama. And so I thought, well, that sounds, that sounds fun. You know, anyway, what I noticed within just a couple of class periods is that what she was really doing was teaching children how to love themselves as they are. And it was so jaw dropping for me at that time. And that age, I was probably 19 years old and I, and I got it. And I didn't know that that the sister Peggy was her name, that she realized I got it. I, you know, I thought that was, you know, I mean, it was jaw dropping and I thought maybe everybody understood it, you know, in the same way. Um, So anyway, the class did a couple of things. One is at the end of the class, I realized I should really teach, go into education for elementary education because children should learn young that how to love themselves. And um, so anyway, That was one thing. But at the very end of the class, Sister Peggy comes up to me and she says, you know, I give these workshops, you know, in these other different states and and I messed up. I have two workshops on the same weekend. 
two weekends from now. And I'd like you to take the one in North Dakota and I'll take the one in Iowa. <laughs> so, oh my gosh, what was it? So I thought, I, I hardly even understood what it was, you know, and I, but I also knew that I understood the concept. I knew how to do it. I knew I felt confident there. So she said, you come to my house. And I'll have all the materials you need ready for you. And I'll put it in a suitcase and you'll be ready to go. And so I went to her house at dinner time. So we went at dinner and, and between, you know, passing the bread and the butter, they would say, so how was your day to this other sisters sitting around the table? And that was jaw dropping. They'd say, oh, this family of 10 came up from Texas. And, and it was, you know, it was middle of winter in Minnesota, which is horrible. And, you know, they didn't have a place to live. They didn't have any food. They didn't have winter clothing. She said, well, I just called so -and sister so-and-so for the clothing. And then the sister so-and-so for the food. And then I thought, oh, my gosh, they got to go somewhere. Well, then I called sister so-and-so. Do you have tent room for 10? Oh, yeah, yeah. And that was just one of the nuns sitting around the table. Then another nun, you know, she teaches at the college and, and there was a student who looked sad. And now here I'm at the university and we have classes of 500 almost. You don't think of anybody noticing you. But at that college, the student looked sad and they said, what's wrong? Well, my dad lost his job. So this will be my last semester. Well, I just, so this nun said, well, I'll just call sister so-and-so. <laughs> and they worked out something and she could continue school there and and it went around the table and all the nuns worked in these other places. And I was like, who are these people? And so, so then I went to North Dakota and I did the workshop. And then, of course, now Sister Peggy realized she could be doing two workshops at the same time all the time. <laughs> and so I went to another place and she said, come on, I'm going to be at this party. And you just come and you can pick up the suitcase full of the materials at the party. Well, OK. So I go to the party. And one of the nuns yells out, must have been like a Super Bowl party or something. And one of the nuns yells out again, the crowd of nuns. And she says, hey, I need 20 beds. Does anybody have 20 beds? And somebody shouted out, I have 20 beds. <laughs> it's like, how do you have 20 beds? Well, she worked in the hospital and they changed the beds around. Well, then they're all laughing. They're saying, OK, who's going to have a truck? And one of the nuns says, I have a truck. And they said, no, you don't. And uh, it was, she had a truck. She said, I have people. I can get the beds moved. And they were starting another shelter. Anyway, I, I just couldn't stop being with these people. They, they, there was a problem and let's move. And they did it together. It took all of them, you know, it takes a community to really work at what the issues are. And there was this community of women just you know, I have the beds, I can move them, I'll get a truck, I'll do this, you know, and it was just, it just was phenomenal to me. It was just, um, it even became more interesting than boys at that time, <laughs> you know, so, which was a lot because they were still very cute in college and, I, you know, after college. I didn't join right away, but I eventually joined after I traveled a bit and stuff, so. Did you grow up in a religious family? Well, did, was God a prominent figure in the house or for that matter, the Pope? <laughs> yeah, not, well, I would say that it was very family oriented God. You know, it wasn't, uh, it was something that, that was, I would say that the model and the language we talked about at home was more about Jesus. Like what would Jesus do? You know, you want to, if you see somebody in your classroom, um, you know, sort of isolated, reach out to them. You know, so pay attention who's around you and, and, and be kind. 
And our family was fairly big and I was towards the top end. And so even at home, it was, you know, if you're going to play a game of kickball, make sure it works for the six-year-old with you, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. So you were all, we were always adapting and including. And so it was, um, so I don't know, as the spirituality was, was very strong. But we How went to kids? church and, well, there were only eight of us. So it was average. <laughs> For oh my an Irish goodness. family. <laughs> wow. Eight kids. Yeah, it was a blast. But here in St. Paul, there's a lot of the families might be 15 or, or, you know, 12 is really common. So I used to always have to apologize. They'd say, how, how many kids in your family? I'd say, well, we only had eight. <laughs> wow. That's I know, amazing. crazy. Yeah, it's fun. Really fun. Still is fun. As a, as a kid, I'm always fascinated by children growing up in faithful homes. I think, and no matter what the religion because I think that they're for a long time. Well, first, you know, you're born into a family and your parents are, are the thing. And then mm-hmm. you start to understand the thing outside the thing or whatever that is. Mm-hmm. And well, for you, do you remember a point where it, it shifted from, I believe these things because my family believes these things to, I believe these things because I believe these things. Oh, yes. Yes. Um, when I was in high school, and the Sisters of St. Joseph taught, taught me there. And there was a class where they said, this class, we, what we want are your questions that are outside the box. And so, the, you know, high school kids will say stuff like, why do you have to go to church on Sunday? Why can't you go to church on Tuesday? <laughs> you know, why do you have to? So you ask, why, why are these rules important? And so what kind of happened was there was a great freedom to say, well, Why? you know, why about, why do we, why do we say these words? Why do we gather at this time? And, and that gives you an opportunity to, to hear replies from your own heart. I mean, you, you sort of know things from yourself. Well, you know, people gather on, on if they gather all on Tuesday, that's kind of cool. You know, what they do gather on Sunday, that's cool. You know, if you want to see it as a community or you start, you start bringing your own, meaning towards some of the rituals. So we did that um, through high school because of that class. It was really interesting. I always think that if people are asking the right questions, they'll come up with the right answers. If they're not asking questions, what happens? Nothing, you know? Yeah, so, so I agree that with really that. helped. Yeah, so it helped. Growing yeah. up as one of the elder children in a family with so many kids, if if you were already sort of a, not like the extra parent or the, the, you know, that, that vibe probably for the littler ones and you have to live your life with equitable concepts. The littlest one has to also be cared for as, as, which is a, you can reflect that onto the planet. You know, the littlest yeah. shall, shall be helped as much as the, the biggest. And in fact, the littlest needs to be helped more, yeah. you know, um, so it sounds like you already were growing up in a family that had that understanding. Mm-hmm. It's not surprising to me that you would go into a, a lifestyle that where you could reflect that back onto the world. But it's again, a leap to then say, I'm going to devote my life to a particular order and to be a nun. How does one make that major decision? Major leap. Well, um, let me think, how would I even begin to answer that? It, it, I have to say that it didn't feel that major. Um, 
because, and I'm trying to think, get back into a 21-year-old head. Well, I didn't join till I was 26, really, or somewhere around there. But, but so that those young years, um, you know how, how that generation, and every generation that those ages feel like we got the answers. Okay, now, you know, we're the adults now, you know, they push the, put the old people off to the side because boy, we got the fresh ideas and, sure. you know, and so there was, for me, I saw with the sisters, this, this ability to change society, literally right in front of your eyes, change society. And how they did it was by lifting up the people who needed to be lifted up. And they could do that. They, they would say, we're going to start, let's just start a school for the immigrants here. Let's just do that. Well, we've got a trouble. We've got a problem over in this area with um, homeless people. Well, why don't we start like a prayer community and we can just invite them in, have hot lunches and the prayer can be, we could just open the newspaper and say, who do we need to pray for today? And how are we going to do that? And, you know, just, it was just, there was, there's no stopping. <laughs> it, it was all, and, and in our, again, Sisters of St. Joseph, we talk about keeping your eyes wide open and your sleeves rolled up, you know, ready for ministry and that you're looking, you're dividing, we call, you're reaching out into society and looking for where's the need. And then you start with, you start with the need with the people who are in need, you know, they have answers too. So you ask them. So right away, you learn this way of involving the community, the regular community to help themselves. But what the nuns are able to do is to keep bringing in other resources, people resources. And I mean, it was so empowering and it's still 40 plus years later, it hasn't stopped. I mean, it's still going on. It's going on right here in the Twin City area with the sisters. It's going on all over the world with sisters. Sure. If you hadn't gone to or had not been influenced by the St. Joseph sisters and and that order and being taught by them, when a nun, when somebody decides to become a nun, is it like picking a college where you have a whole bunch of different orders and you think, which one do I want to go to? Or is it more like a a draft for football where they say, (laughs) hey, that looks like a great nun to be. Let's, you know, you're our number one draft pick. Is it, which is it more like? (laughs) Well, for me, it was, it was the world that I was immersed in. Yeah. But there were other orders here. But this one was in the area where I am and where I knew I could influence. And I, you know, I mean, there are some people who join orders who they want to, I don't want to say travel, but they want to, they want to, you know, serve in other places. And I just love this Twin City area. And so, you know, so I started here and that was the group. There was another group of sisters. They were very, um, most of them had backgrounds like farmers you know, farm, they came from farms and really, um, it's a different, I, I grew up in the suburbs. So like I hadn't been on a farm, you know? And so I did the language or the, I don't know, the worlds felt different Mm. for me, but this, this world of the sisters of St. Joseph did, it just, it feels, you feel like you're home. Sisters join the orders that feels like home to them. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the best way to say it, I guess. And every order is has a different vibe or 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 plan or goal or yeah right they right. they all yeah. yeah yeah different focus and you know different personalities and so yeah 
It's so fascinating to me. Uh, well, let's get into, all right. So you're in your twenties, you've made the commitment to, to join the sisterhood and you, you start that process, which I imagine is quite a lot of learning along the way. Do, do nuns have doctorates? How is that like priests yeah, do? Or is, I have, yeah. Oh no. Yeah. No, priests don't have doctorates. Necessarily. Oh, I thought you had to have, I thought I priests had to so. have doctorates in theology. I think they have, I think some do, but I don't know if they all do, but they, oh, have, okay. they have, they have further education. Yeah. You know, okay. They, so I don't know what degree it ends up being, but they have Got further it. education. Yeah. But you do. But, I do. Yeah. We have most of a lot of our sisters have doctorates. One of the reasons is, is that so this order that I joined, they they like to have the people. <laughs> it's so typical us. Uh, the sisters of St. Joseph like to be in charge of this stuff. <laughs> you know, if you could direct the hospital, then that's really great, because then you can say we're going to welcome the people in the streets. You know, and we're going to train our our staff to learn how to be with the people because these are our people. You know, we, we want to be able to run stuff. Now, not everybody has a doctorate, but we have a lot of our degrees are pretty. We have a lot of degreed people. So we always say in our nursing home, it's probably the most highly educated spot in Minnesota right now because all of our all of our retired uh, sisters are there and they have so many different degrees. It's amazing. So, wow. <laughs> Yeah, I did. You bring up something that I always think about is just this this beautiful treasure of knowledge that exists in elderly people that are at this point. I'm sure that the elderly nuns are are to get visitors and all that kind of stuff, but so many elderly that don't, and just their stories and their knowledge yeah. that that's just in a room somewhere is mind boggling to me. You know? It is. It still is to me, too, because I could sit at the at a lunch table there with women and I, there might be a former college president or two, somebody who's run the ho- huge healthcare system, somebody who is a master's or, you know, with a Ph.D. in music and taught thousands of students in music or it, it is fina- or ran um, and, you know, founded and ran several social service agencies that are still flourishing 50 years later. You know, it is it is amazing. But, you know, what they do is they talk about you. If you came there and were sitting at the table with us, their interest would be you. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, mm-hmm. It's it's really, um, I don't know. I, I still feel such joy in my heart that I made this decision. It, 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 I've never looked back. It just has really been a very strong sense that, wow, you want, I mean, I feel like if the, which is why Sisters Rising Worldwide, why we started that was that if you, if you, if people knew that there were 650,000 women on the planet right now, as we're sitting here talking, doing this, around the world, caring for the people around them, that nobody would feel hopeless, you know, which is Mike going back to Michael Nagy. That's why he, he feels excited because he knows that he's being held up by this ocean of help and people that are really working to, to make things better around the planet for everybody. You know, at what point did you decide to start the sisters rising worldwide and also explain the vision of that? Oh, okay. I had already been, uh, I'd had several lifetimes of other jobs, <laughs> which, you know, everyone was kind of like the step towards the next job. And um, so finally, when I, I, so for a while, 
after I got my doctorate in education, then I was asked by the sisters to start a foundation to fund our free healthcare system and all of our social programs that we have in the metropolitan area. And it was through that process, which I did for 20 years, um, that I was running into people who had resources that could fund, you know, the planet. I mean, really, it was, and I used to, I remember thinking, oh my goodness, that's too much money for us. That's, we don't need a gift like that, <laughs> you know, thinking like that. And then I thought, oh my gosh, we, sh we sh could be funding people around the planet. And one gentleman said to me, actually, sister, I have so much, so many resources that no nonprofit's big enough to take it. What are the nuns doing? And I knew in my head, I, I thought, I know the answer to that. And I could tell him, I wanted to say, pick a country, I'll tell you what they're doing there. And so what I ended up doing instead was I um, took a sabbatical from my foundation job and I gathered what I call my merry band of sisters who are visionaries as well. And I wanted, and they're really smart and really fun to be with. And we spent a year um, meeting in different parts of the United States and saying, Do, could you answer that question too? Could you say, you know what's happening? Name a, name a country, El Salvador, name Nigeria, name a, anywhere. Could you name what's going on there? And they kept saying, yeah. And I said, well, let's check it out. And we have a lot of sisters at the United Nations. And so we, and they represent 200 congregations around the world, which means tens of thousands of people. We asked them, could you, do you know what the root causes? Are the sisters know what the root causes on the ground? And is this, you know, yep, yep. And so what we realized was, is that, that the sisters orders, as you, you kind of referred to a little bit ago, um, they're all siloed from each other. So the Sisters of St. Joseph communicate, the Notre Dames communicate with each other, the Benedictines communicate with each other, but very few of the members can talk to everybody. And we, so we don't have in aggregate the stories that would literally change the narrative of the planet if we knew what everybody was doing on the ground. And so that was the precursor. And so we realized that we had to, we had to develop a platform that would connect the 650,000 sisters where they would find each other in this platform and start sharing their best practices and all the wisdom and wealth that they've had and learned over the, over the century, really. Like um, social media, like none book or something. Is it? It's, it's, you know, that's funny. I hadn't thought about that. We call it the peace room. So if you can, if you can picture, you can open up into the peace room and you can click on the map of the world and you can click on one of the countries and up comes the sisters who are have come on and you can click on any of them and say, hey, what are you doing today or how, you know, or you could you could find each other that way. They come on. But so where that where that becomes important is like, you know, on the border right now between Mexico and the U.S., there are people coming way beyond just Central America. They're coming from the Congo and Turkey and all different countries. And what the sisters can do now is they can go to the peace room. They could click on, say, the Congo and, and ask the sisters, do you need help? Your people are coming here. There's, there must be some trauma in the country. Is there any way that we can help? 
and get re- the resources that you need, what might help the people there, or what, you know, or, or is anybody looking for is somebody lost and they're here on the border? Or, you know, it's a way to communicate with each other. Um, and it's just, and it is just for sisters. So it's very closed. And there are some that are right now saying, you know, we need food, but our farmers, we don't have the land. We can't, you know, we've, there's been marauders. They've been killing the farmers. There's not enough food. We don't have land. What do we do? And another sister says, do you know about vertical gardening? You can do it right up the walls of your house. And, you know, so they're, they're sharing information and stuff. It's just, it's phenomenal. It is really phenomenal. So. And every, every one of those begets another person. So that, I mean, I am assuming you also source humanitarians on top of the humanitarian nuns, the nuns say, we've got, as you said in the beginning, this person has a truck, this person right. has gardening tools, this person has fresh water access or whatever it is, or medical aid. And mm-hmm. so even yeah. though the, the peace room is an insular thing amongst the nuns themselves, the branches extend everywhere. Oh, everywhere, everywhere, yeah. everywhere. And, and what we, um, you know, if you think about, um, say 650,000 sisters. And then you just imagine to yourself that each one of those sisters knows one person. And then you've got 1.3 million people around the world, but the nuns know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. And now you've got really a network, an intact network of tens of millions of people who are moving their resources to solve root causes, you know, and problems and helping each other and, you know, and, and once like in El Salvador, my gosh, the nuns and the people they serve are the only people who are safe. And what happens there is that the people they serve carry inside them what it's needed, the way that the nuns are being, they carry it inside them. So they show how to be in life kind of. And the people that go through their hands now become respected and known by their community in the same way that they treat the nuns. And so it expands through the people. The way of being is just modeled in the beginning by the sisters, but it doesn't matter unless it is carried out with the other people. That's how healing happens. You know, you, you have to involve the people of the community and they become their own kind of saviors. The nuns just kind of start it. <laughs> Well, it's interesting because I know historically nuns are placed in places that, you know, the toughest, tough dude with the, all his weapons wouldn't walk through at night. And yet there's, you know, Sister Margaret or Sister Anne or <laughs> Sister Peggy or whatever. That Talk about that a little bit because I, I don't know that people are aware. Y'all are your warriors in a lot of ways. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Warriors for peace and love and for right. change, but warriors nonetheless. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. Well, somebody once said to me recently that nuns are like firefighters. Wherever the fire is, they jump in first. You know, they're jumping in. Um, I think one of the the reason why people don't understand that the sisters are social justice warriors is because television shows them, you know, going to church and then coming back and, and singing in crowds and or whatever it is and and they don't show you know the hard parts the hard parts is where we thrive because that's where that's that's where the heart just calls you that's where the most need 
you know, it would be like seeing a little child crying on the side of the road and think, well, I don't do that. I do something else. You know, the, of course you go there. You know, you want, anyway, that's where we are. If you want to find us, you find us in the worst areas of, um, of different, of any country, of any town, of any village. We're pretty much everywhere. I always say if you put your arms out to your side about this far, you know, fingertip to fingertip, you'll bump into a nun and never know it. Hmm. So, how do they prepare you for that? How does how does the order prepare you to go into such chaos with, I mean, aside from the idea of like God's on your side, I get that. But in the real world application of life, how do you prepare for something like that kind of life? I, I want to say that. Um, or Jesus on your side. I always say God because I was. Yeah. You know, raised up with the, the the Jesus and the God, Jewish and Episcopalian. So I, yeah, <laughs> I default it's to a, God. <laughs> it, it's all good. It's all good. Um, um, I would, there's something about the power of a community. So even if I went in someplace that was dangerous um, by myself, I would never feel alone. I don't, I mean, I don't feel I have the whole community. I have not just the sisters of St. Joseph, but all the sisters are part of are part of me. And so there's a huge swell of power. You know that power I was talking about when you're 21 and 22 and you're going to change the world? It doesn't go away. <laughs> it stays with you. That sense because of the community. It is it's so strong and it's um and it's it's it doesn't um Oh, what do I want to say? It, everybody's included. You mm. know, like you just mentioned the different faiths. You know, we don't distinguish between faiths. We don't like, oh, I'm only going to help Catholics. I'm only going to help this kind of person. It's not everybody counts. And so you can't, there's nothing to stop your heart from reaching out. And do you know how that feels? I don't know if I could. I know how that, that feels. Thing. Yes, I do. Yeah. Know how, personally, I do know how that feels. And it's. It's lovely. And it is a big bummer if to be frank and candid that I think there is a huge disconnect for many people when it comes to religion, uh, any, uh, any and all that they, they do get very insular or what's mine is mine and everybody else can fend for themselves. Because I think, I mean, let's start with the golden rule and, and the, the Christ consciousness in general, you know, that is so it's so missing the point <laughs> to me, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, that it, it's a real bummer. It's a, it's a bummer that sometimes human ego really messes up this divine purpose. Right. Right. I and even if you're a scientist and you don't believe in religion, you can't look at a flower and not see, you know, the Fibonacci sequence, for example, or something like that, and not see the power of the all of whatever that is to you. Mm -hmm. And not then look at another human being, regardless of size, shape, color, religion, orientation, whatever, and not see that same glory. You don't get to pick and choose what a miracle is. Mm -hmm. A miracle is just a miracle. The fact that we exist is the, every, the things that have to align in order to create a human being is so astronomical. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That I whether do. you're a science person or a religion person, how do you not see that? And then, then shine that light, light with a capital L onto every being that exists. Yeah. Right. 
Well, I, I know. The, oh, my gosh. There's so many fabulous conversations we could be having. Um, I, I Do you remember the periodic table in high school? Yeah. Okay. I always thought that that really the the basic elements of the universe really is love. It's one thing, it's love. And that things thrive when there's love. And you know, the flower grows, the plants grow. I mean they grow and you love them back. That's that's the energy. When you see beauty, don't you love it? I mean that's the energy that comes out. And and right now when I keep looking at these colorful trees outside my window, it's just like blows my mind. It's so beautiful. And, um, and just there's beauty. And then when you break love, that's when you get something that doesn't, it, it breaks the universe. You know, if you break, if you don't, um, you know, you don't, you get the negative of everything. And it seems to me that those are the basic principles <laughs> that we're operating on. But if you think of, you know, that everything you're looking at and, and experiencing is love. And if somebody is sad and missing that, missing that or, or feels hopeless. You just, to me, I just want to reach out. That's, that's my innate movement. And I think it's innate for human beings. I think it's innate for life. I think that, you know, that you see puppies pile up and sleep together and you see, you know, the mother's taking care of no matter what, what form they're in taking care of their young. And I, I just, I think that love is a powerful energy that um, if you just wake up to it, it's not about religion at all. Mm, it really isn't. No. How do you think it is that, that the sisters can go into these very dangerous places and that there is this, I would, I would throw awe into the mix. I'm sure that the people maybe, like in gang places where the gangs are in anywhere in the world where there's gang warfare or that kind of situation where child soldiers or anything like that, there's like this bubble around the idea of a nun. You can mess with anyone, but don't mess with a nun. Like you could even <laughs> mess with a priest, but don't mess with a nun. There's, you know what I mean? There, it feels like this special thing. It's interesting. Well, I, I, I believe it's because the nuns believe that everybody counts. There isn't anybody outside of their circle. And so I heard from in Venezuela when things were falling apart and they were stopping all the food trucks and everything, they were stopping, you know, and things couldn't get in, but the nuns could deliver food. They could, they were doing handing food back and forth. And why were they not in trouble? Because they fed everybody. They didn't say, what side are you on? They didn't say any device, anything. It's like, are you hungry? <laughs> you know, you just, you feed, you, you, the nuns don't draw lines in the sand. It's, it's really, and, and it's not for themselves. They don't do it for themselves. They, they really are looking at, if you help lift up society, then society as a whole lifts up. You know, everybody flourishes. It's so interesting that the power behind all of that, that when I think of the Catholic church, and maybe this is just me, but when I think of the Catholic church, I think of a patriarchy. But in fact, it's really run by these women, these selfless mothers to all. The irony being, of course, you don't marry and you don't have children. And yet, you know, like the, like the mother Mary, you know, you just, you become the mother of all beings that 
and yet the Catholics, when you say a Catholic, everyone goes priest. It's not, it's weird. It's almost like you're in your own place over here. I think of, yeah, I like to think of, yeah, the pre, the, there's the, there's the um, hierarchy and there's the religion. Over there. And, and the sisters emote spirituality, which is something that everybody everybody has a spirit and it and the spirit is fed by love and seeing that and knowing that and it comes right from birth i mean you you that innate love mother baby you know that intense um feeling that happens um and it's not about a doctrine or anything like that except love and then when you you know if you read anywhere what do they say god is you know like I had a nephew who said, um, I'm an atheist. And his mother was really upset about that. <laughs> she came over to my house and said, Yep, the my son said he's atheist. What do you what do you say to that? And the sister that I live with said, uh, does he believe in love? And my sister said, Oh yeah. And she said, Tell him God is love. And that's it. That's so if you think about that, it's not it's not a religion. It's it's not it is a it's a spirit spirituality. It's it's the energy of the universe. It's yeah, so. yeah, absolutely. Does, so does the Catholic Church at all fund the sisters worldwide? Do you have to find the monies yourself? See that you're you're saying no. This is, and I'm going to let you talk about that. But that is insane to me as well, especially. I mean, just to dip my toe in the shadow of the, the things that are hanging over the Catholic Church and the millions and millions of dollars that are being expended for those situations, that that money, should, if, if those issues had been rectified so long ago, instead of people being moved from place to place and things buried under, you know, under the carpet, that all this, these millions of dollars that could have funded such beautiful, important humanitarian education and sciences and healthcare. And it's just, it's mind-boggling to me. That's got to be a huge frustration. So that's like 12 questions at once. So yay, go. <laughs> yay, go. I love that. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> well, um, you know, the, the sisters are not funded by the Catholic Church unless they're hired by the church. So if they're working somewhere in the church, I don't know, liturgical leader or something or music director or whatever, um, but they don't, they do not all, when you think of the hospitals and the school systems and the shelters and all that stuff that's going on, that's funded by the sisters. The sisters have to reach out and, and do that. Um, and the good news about that is that we're not beholden financially <laughs> to an institution outside. You know, so that's, that's really the good news. Another good news about that is that because, you know, like when you think about nuns building hospitals to say, well, we don't have any money. <laughs> How did we do that? You know, well, it's because I looked at you and I thought, my gosh, you have bricks and a person over there has mortar. Would you help us have a hospital for your people in the community here? 
And so, see, that's the heal. Do you see when I say the healing? Because the community comes together way beyond the nuns. It's not about the nuns. We start it. We'll start it. We'll say, we will make sure that this hospital is well run. We will make sure that there are, you know, good nurses and doctors, and we'll get this going for the community here. It's not for the sisters. And so, so we're able to, that's where we get resources. So people, people want to help that because it's really also about them. It's not about, um, you know, a building and taking care of a parking lot or whatever it is. I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's, well, not, it's, it's like sister Peggy saying in, or teaching something about learning to, to love oneself is it's the leader teaching people how to lead, not, not doing everything for them. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I always tell people, we try to work ourselves out of a job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so that's, that's a teach, it. Yeah. teach a man to fish sort yeah. of thing or woman or yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. And so to see, I, it is hard to see money um, wasted. There's no, it's no question because, you know, right now I told you a little bit about the Nigerians who are feeding the, making the vertical gardens and they're changing the face of Nigeria, $15,000. That's what it cost. And they're, they're educating the youth and the youth are growing the food and the youth are starting to sell the food and the youth will start to imagine themselves as grown-ups and being able to, you know, that, that's game-changing, generational game-changing, $15,000. Um, so it doesn't take a lot. What's hard, I always think, what's hard is when people don't know about that feeling of giving, they don't know that when you give, you get so much more back. You know, the person who gave $15,000 to Nigeria, can you imagine <laughs> feeling that inside you? Oh my gosh, I changed these generations in Nigeria because I gave $15,000. You know, so and but I think people there's so, people have um, do, uh, what do I say? They if they if you don't feel full, it's hard to give, mm. and so you people give from a fullness. Mm -hmm. And if you feel if you don't feel full, even if you have millions of millions of dollars, it's hard to give because you don't know that you have that in you. You know, it's got to come from inside. So, yeah, we talk about that on the show, the God-shaped hole, that if people have an emptiness to themselves, no, nothing will ever fill it. And if you're always coming to the world empty and starved, emotionally starved or spiritually starved, or the, the, nothing, will, nothing will ever fill that, that hunger up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's why it's important to be, to be teaching or, or, or feeding the spirit. And not mm -hmm. teaching as in doctrine or that kind of stuff, but but knowing that there's a spirit inside you that's that's um, awesome and unique, and you know. So. Is it hard for people to understand that the money actually goes where you say it's going to go? Because I think for many, they think, "Oh, sure, you give it to the that it's just going to go to the to this that or other." You know that that there's actually real solutions happening. You, you all are boots on the ground. Yeah. No, it's, I don't think it is. I think people feel confident. They trust the nuns, no matter what faith they come from, faith mm. tradition. So they do, because they see, they see the simple living um, and they see that they're, they're not, you know, taking out stock and stuff or whatever you do to build a huge business. We're just trying to help people flourish. And, you know, 
Um, but we're well-educated. So whatever we do, we'll do well. Yeah. And I think they get that. Um, so it's, it's not hard. What's hard is to have people see us now because we're so invisible. Oh. And the good news, the nuns love that. We don't see because it's not about us, right? Sure, sure, sure. Okay. So for 300 years, they were wearing these habits that really was a was simply the widow's outfit from you know centuries earlier, and so they stuck out. and And people, oh, you gave away your bar, best marketing tool by taking that thing off. Well, you don't want. It's not about us. <laughs> you know, you would know that a nun passed by by maybe what she did, not by because Ooh, you saw her. That gives me the shivers. Yeah, <laughs> well, I love would, that. <laughs> that's more what it is, and so people don't see us, and that's why with Sisters Rising Worldwide, if we could gather the stories and and help the sisters with um, with their needs in their areas, um, and then we raise up the stories, so they start to hear not so much the stories of the nuns, but they would hear the stories of the people whose lives were changed. Because, you know, there was this intersection there, but also because donors gave to help them change. So we're, we're making that connection. Sisters Rising, we call them waymakers. Our donors are like our waymakers. And that they just match up with the need. And then the flourishing happens. And then we're able to tell the stories. So the Sisters Rising Worldwide, that, that is gathering up funds that then trickle into the peace room where they can use the funds depending on where in the world it's a necessity? Or is it also not just funds, but as you were saying, supplies and, and maybe uh, education or, or whatever it is? It's yeah. not just money, I assume. It's oh, exactly. No, it's, it's yeah. two parts. So it's really Sisters Rising Worldwide has two parts. Part one is the, is the peace room, which is the platform where the sisters come in and they meet each other and find each other and, and they can share best practices and stuff among each other too. Um, but they also, in the peace room, they say, this is what I'm doing and this is my need. I need these resources. Does any, what do you have? And Sisters Rising Worldwide takes that content and moves it to our public website, which is srw.org. And it moves there. So the public can go on there. And at any one time, we have about 12 programs that we're promoting that we're saying, this is, you know, we could help. Um, you can start tapping into the root causes if we fund these things. And and so there's photos and you can meet the nuns by video and you can, you know, and so that's where the money is. We do also crowdsourcing. And so we're we're just raising money and then we get them, we get it to the sisters. But sometimes the need is different. Like, I mean, the need, there was a little village in India where they kept asking for beds. Why do you need beds? Well, we have all these deaf girls. Aren't there any deaf boys? Oh, yeah, but they put the boys to work and they traffic the girls. And so what, So they're trying to save the girls. So the next question is, why are they deaf? Oh, well, there aren't any clinics up in the villages from where they come from. But there are, in, there are people in the United States who want to distribute clinics around the world, but they don't know where to put them. <laughs> so, so we can connect people like that. You know, or like, do you know the, have you ever heard of the organization Alight? Mm -mm. Oh my gosh. They used to be called um, the American Refugee Committee. And they, they worked in the Eastern Hemisphere, wanted to work in the Western Hemisphere. 
um, we we crossed paths. They they wanted to. They said we don't know where to find the root cause of the problem or how to talk to the nuns. And I said, well, do you work in the worst places of the world? Yeah, they said. I says has to be crawling with nuns. Ask them what the problem is. And the president of the a light stood up and said, we're going to partner. Let's work together. And so now to this day, they, whatever they're working, they're trying to find the sisters first to say, what do you say the need is? And then that's what they do. That's what a light offers. And in space, it's just, so that's a whole nother huge organization that we've swooped in and is, is helping the sisters as well. So people are starting to catch on that if you want to know what really is needed and what's really helped, ask the sister on the ground mm-hmm. there. It's interesting you brought up the the term root cause a few times. And of course, that seems like a no-brainer that one would go to the root of a problem instead of dealing with the branches. But yet, that's not usually what happens. So talk a little bit about that. Okay. Um, the best way to do it would be with little stories um, that we've been helping. So now, you know, um, the, on the border, I'll just start with the Mexico and United States. And there's a lot of people coming up there and um, COVID has hit and they have shut the doors in America <laughs> and people are piling up. So this, this town of Nugales, which is uh, south of, uh, I always think south of Tucson down in there, and it's on the Mexican side. And there's a sister there who it was just, when you see the shelter's not big enough, COVID is spreading, there's not enough lavatory, there's not enough anything. And a light and Sisters Rising goes there and says, what, what do you need? And because we're looking at, we knew that she would and no, tell the root cause at then. And also when the people come to the border, you've got the drug lords and the traffickers are all. So the people in Nogales are angry and upset because this was their play, their city, and now it's, it's just a big mess. And this sister says, what we need right now is a beehive oven, which they call, they name an orno. It's in Spanish. We need an orno, and we need shade. And you say to yourself, how is that a root cause? <laughs> How does that get to the root cause? You know what I mean? Shade and a beehive oven. I don't know. And I said, just we're just going to do it. Just do it. So they built it and they built the shade. It was like a big pavilion without sides. And they put like, can you picture like lunchroom tables under the probably 20 tables and chairs and stuff. And this is what the sister knew had to happen before anything could happen. She said, all the migrants who come here know how to make bread. And we're going to make bread. And we're going to invite the people from Nugales to come and share bread with us. And that's what they did. So they couldn't solve anything unless they started to break the tension between the two groups and see that everybody has value. Everybody has something to give. And then you can move forward. Mm. So that's, that's just an example of a, of a root cause that you wouldn't predict necessarily. You know, that that would, I always think it, you're going to, you'll ask the nuns what will solve, what will get the problem going. And it won't be what you think. It won't be a pile of tennis shoes. You know, it won't be, yeah. it'll be something else, you know. Ask so, the nuns. Yeah. yeah. Human trafficking, I imagine, is a huge thing that you have to deal with worldwide. I would say every, every order, every place always has to keep an eye out for trafficking. Absolutely. And some of them are main 
One in India, there was a story where the sisters were taking the women who were trafficked. They come out of the, the, the tribal people that are that migrate and they come out of the forest and they would educate them. And they got to the point where they were edu- trying to educate them and they also needed to give them internships. So they're looking for jobs. That's the game changer. Mm. But the people, the women would get trafficked going, you know, from the even from the woods to the school where the nuns were or from the school to where they were internship. And so how do you stop trafficking there? They said, we just need a van. And so for $23,000, they had a van and trafficking in that area has stopped. And when you think of sisters all over the world, all the hard places where the trafficking is and they're watching if you solve each of these little little places with different solutions, because it depends on where you are, what the problem is, we could end trafficking. <laughs> you know, let's just go for it. But but there isn't any place to get except this peace room now where people can get that huge aggregate story that we are working on trafficking globally. So wow, 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 wow. How do you and as a whole, as the whole of the nun society, deal with self-care. And I mean, being in that has got to take its toll, no matter how faithful and how devoted and how full of love and light and hope you are. There's got to be some bad days in there. How do you care for each other and for yourselves in those regards? I think that... um I, I, I could name, I mean, I'll name a few ways, but every sister would have probably their own uh, way. But um, one of the, I mean, one of the things is that in, in terms of like simplicity, okay, sometimes it's just having time to sit in your own chair in a room and it's quiet. <laughs> you know, it's not like you have to go on a big cruise or a big trip or anything. You just have to just, you know, kind of get centered again. Um, prayer is a really important thing. I mean, medit- I'm a meditator, um, but that kind of meditation, quieting, stabilizing, you know, is really important. And um, I, no matter where I lived, I would never be poor because I'm educated. I have a, a community. I mean, that, I mean, I might not have enough food. I might not have something, but I can't be poor. You know, so the sisters belong to this wealth of people. It's it's it isn't money that keeps us alive. It's people. It's it's community, and so we're always wherever we are. We're in the midst of that. But but I think that a lot of sisters. I don't want to say all sisters, but a lot of sisters just restabilized by we call it go, uh, going on a retreat, which is simply quieting yourself. Whether you do go someplace and sit by the shore or something or you know you have somebody a spiritual guide with you um you know so that kind of thing it's not but you do we we take care of each other you watch Mm -hmm. you can see when somebody's starting to look like they're burning out and you you know come here (laughs) you know move them away for a while and try to help but because it's there's a there's a lot going on but on the other hand there is so much joy that you know I mean, the joy is almost, I don't know, that's, that's just it's like overwhelming. I love it. <laughs> In, uh, you over. If you, if a nun says, 
I, I don't know who they go to mother superior, I suppose, and says, I, I just, I need to go, I need to not do this and step out of it and maybe even leave the, the, leave it. And then can they come back if they say, okay, I just needed a year or something, or does it have to start all over again? How would that work? Oh, no. I mean, like take a, take a sabbatical. Like I, ah, when I okay. you know, we just say sabbatical. People take sabbaticals and it's not, that's, that's, that's common because the jobs are huge, as you can imagine. I mean, everybody, anybody you see walking down the street, everybody you see has something in their life that they would love to just say, I am sad about this, or this is hard or, you know, whatever. Everybody has something. So if you're tuned into that, it can be overwhelming. And so you want to, um, you can take a sabbatical. Yeah, it's great. You refresh yourself. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. it's good to know that that is a, a possibility. Uh, so, so regular folks just listening to this can go to the organization and say, I've got some sort of something to give to this, whether it's resource or time or money or, or, yeah. or building blocks or whatnot, or gardening tools or whatever it is. Right. <laughs> spreading, the, yeah, spreading the word, even spreading the word. Yeah. SRW.org. Sure. Yeah. Because they can, yeah, whatever there, there are places that need everything. Everybody SR- has, everybody has something to give. Yeah. SRW.org. Yeah. Yeah. SRW.org. We're actually, the, after the start of the year, we're going to do a run around the world. I don't know what we're going to call it. Like, you know, who's running the world, you know, sisters or something. I don't know. But, but we're the world, I kept saying, the world, we're only like 25,000 miles around. What if we could aggregate all of our walking? So like, if you walk two miles and I walk two miles, there we got four miles added. You know, we just keep adding. You could ask Beyonce to to rewrite uh, Girls Run the World and have it be Nuns Run the World and (laughs) do a... Do a cover of that song. That would be great. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's so we're going to get anybody who, I don't care if they, if they walk their dog, they can register their dog. Maybe, you know, they're walking their dog the dog's walking too with them. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. All right. So I have some questions from listeners that have questions for nuns. If you're, if you're up for it. Okay, sure. Okay. I have it on here. So I'm going to just little pull it off here. All right. Hem, hem. Uh, is it decided in the Vatican how uh, nuns decide what their focus is? I feel like we've kind of answered that though, yeah. that you, you go to where you go to where you feel called. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Does yeah. the Pope have much of a say in anything that sisters do? Nah. No, nah, I would say uh, the Pope is busy about the church. Yeah. So he's got his hands full. And like you said, it's just, it's a different vibe. Like the church is the church and y'all are the. Yeah. yeah. He's working with his cardinals and he's, although the current, the current Pope has a heart. He's very compassionate. Yeah. For, he knows the needs of the world. He knows he's support. He's supportive of sisters. Very supportive in yeah. terms of, you know, words and, you know, he's. Yeah. I like this Pope. I, I think this Pope has got some, he's, he's got it going on. Can you say yeah. that about a Pope? Is that, is that rude? I don't know. <laughs> uh, how many orders and you may not know the answer see so you can pass anything out. how many orders of nuns are there and when deciding to become a nun oh we kind of answered this one too do you visit oh it's funny a student will visit yeah. different colleges that's exactly what i said <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's funny yeah oh my gosh there are hundreds of orders because a lot of them are indigenous you know the goodness rises up right from the ground that they're born in you know so they're sure. they're so that and they 
they organize around the need that's there. And so there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of orders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's a lot of people. And, so. and you're saying about 650,000 nuns worldwide. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. That's makes me feel a little safer. I don't know why. Yeah, you uh, should. You should. What is the purpose of those that are cloistered with typical little to no content? And then how did they support them or content contact? And how did they, how do they financially support themselves? What's their purpose? Okay, so their uh, so their purpose is prayer, and they um, what they do. So we call it the cloister sisters or nuns. Usually, well, anyway, I won't go into that. But anyway, so they're they're cloistered, and what they're what they're offering the world is prayer twenty four seven. So that so that anybody who feels alone or sad or at any wakes up in the middle of the night and is beside themselves or something, if they could know that there are sisters holding them close in prayer. That's it's, it's to add that into the universe and the comfort of people. So Mm. they, I think it's a very important role. You know, I'm, I'm too hyperactive to, to do that. (laughs) I mean, I'm just a different kind of sister. Um, I like to meditate, as I said, but um, sometimes I think, Oh gosh, that would be really nice, you know, for a month or something, but, but they, it's, it's a calling and it's powerful. I love the idea also, besides praying for individuals, but praying for the world. I remember watching, um, you know, all around the world, there are uh, little monitors monitoring the vibrational patterns of the earth and that they've shown, this is science. This isn't, this isn't woo-woo. This is science. They've shown large amounts of people pray on a particular day at a particular time that it actually changes the vibrational frequency of the planet. I know. I love that. I know. Extraordinary. I love that. Yeah, I know. It's true. I believe in that. I mean, I, know. I, I mean, it's I not even it. belief. I mean, it is facts. Yeah, it's, it's science. Science. Yeah. yeah. And, and it is that thing of, that we talked about earlier where we are, there is no doubt that we are all connected to all things. Yeah. We're yeah. all one. We're all yeah. one. Yeah. I love that. All right. Let's see. Uh, uh, oh, how is it decided when a sister will take care of which duties in a convent if they all live together? Oh, this might be, <laughs> I assume you don't live in a convent, so. <laughs> I live in a might. house, it's the same thing. I mean, there, yeah. you know, I lived with, there were six of us and there were, you know, another time there were three of us and now there's two of us living in this house. Um, when there's more people, you just organize like a family. Okay, now, you know, like, but in a family, you'll say, okay, the little kids, you make sure the shoes are by the door or something. But in our family, in our community you you decide how is the cooking going to go and who's going to clean what and how and so you share duties it's great it's not like the woman in the household who has to do everything yeah (laughs) it's really nice actually we don't want to spend a lot of time on that so we just divide up the duties and then we we're free you know yeah that makes sense Mm -hmm. uh this is great this is like asking on anything day all right uh (laughs) how often do you get to see your family uh do you go on vacation so we talked about sabbatical so how about uh seeing families and things all the time my my big family is very much part of my life and i used to have camp irene at my house and the kids would come and i'd you know they'd have a weekend and um, we, cause I have 29 nieces and nephews and just about that many great nieces and nephews. Now it's, it's just great. And so you get to know them and, you know, part of their life and, you know, no, I, family is very close. Yeah. That's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's an interesting one. Uh, do nuns go to the doctor's office or does the doctor come to the nun? 
<laughs> the nuns go to the doctor's office. Okay. <laughs> uh, and then this is sort of along the same line. Do you buy your own food at the grocery or people who work there and bring it to you? This is, I think, under the understanding of a convent, which is kind of a different vibe, I guess. A giant convent full of nuns probably operates differently than a day-to-day nun. Yeah. Yeah. There, you know, again, and um, yeah, there are some big convents, I guess. And usually it depends on age of people. Like our retirement place, you know, there are people who buy for those who can't get out or, you know, sure. I mean, but you still help each other you yeah. know, to help each other out. But it's like yeah. anything. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. It's sure. not. Yeah. They have to think that the people there were just social justice warriors. You know, we're not we're not confined we're, we're probably more out in the world than most people. We're more worldly. If you think about the opposite, you know, we're out, we're out there. But when we're at the dentist, you know, the dentist will stop picking at your teeth because he wants to hear what you're saying. You know what I mean? Or you're, you know, you're aware of the conversations with people, the doctors, the grocery store people, the, you know, we're out because you want to know how are people, <laughs> You know, is there a need here? So we're, you know, you bring up something interesting. Firstly, I love that that this, this is what's so wonderful about this conversation to me, because I do think that people have just an idea, whether it's of what a nun is, whether it's the nuns they saw in the sound of music or the, the nuns they see in doubt or the, you know, like it's very cinema based. I yeah, feel exactly. Like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's good to, to talk about this stuff because I think it's an important, it's important to get those messages out there, but I, I'm curious, what if you're a nun who says, I've always wanted to be a dentist, but I've always wanted to be a nun. I mean, do you, is that a thing? Can you, do you have nuns who are also medical doctors or dentists? Or, oh or my goodness. Like absolutely. Okay, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But usually what they're doing then, like we have doctors that doctors that work on the streets, homeless people in Phoenix, you know, or the doctors, a lot of the, like our nuns in India, a lot of lawyers, a lot of doctors, why is that? Because that's what the greatest needed. And why lawyers? Because they have laws on the books that said women are equal, but they never prosecute when, when the women have been gang raped or any of that kind of stuff. So what happens? The nuns become the lawyers. And so you, you're solving the issue. Same thing with the doctors. The doctors will, or the dentists, you know, there's a, they'll get a van and you take the dentist's place, you know, to where the people are living on the street. You help them. So that's the focus. You always think you need the skills. Yeah. That's the, that's the point of the, the good education. You want to be able to offer the best to those who need it. I so. love that. That's just it. See, there you go. I never would yeah. have known that. I mean, it makes, it's logical, but it just, it never crossed my mind. Like, wait a minute. I bet that there are nuns that do these other things too. Cause you would, <laughs> you would think you would have to. All right. What about indulgences? That's one of the questions on here, but like the Netflix and the iPhones and the, you know, the kicks, the Nike kicks, is that stuff that, I mean, where does your human side meet your your altruistic side? Do you get to dive into that stuff or is well, it just not that interesting when you get to the levels of where you are? No, I don't know. I think it depends on the people. Like I'm I'm practically computer illiterate. I need a kid, but I think that's my age. I'm not sure. I know what the what I want the computer to do. And, um, or I want, like when building the platform, we have the most awesome platform. I didn't even know the word platform. I had to learn what is it. I just said to people, I need this thing to do this. I need that. And so then they do that. (laughs) So we need help that, I mean that, but that's me, my age, but there are people who are, um, I don't know, they love, 
just we're as varied as anybody is. Okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I remember the story. This is the story of the nuns where there was a community of nuns living together. And and somebody said, I want to have glass glasses, but the house had plastic glasses. And they said, no, no, glasses for rich people. We just have plastic. But the nun who wanted the plastic glasses really wanted a rug in a certain part of the house. <laughs> and it's like, well, that's what rich people might have a rug. in. The, and then you realize it's not about rich. It's not about poor. It's about living together. And what's simple? Just go simple. So, Interesting. yeah. So it, I don't know. I, I would say, but things aren't a priority. It just isn't. I don't know. You try yeah. to dress for the occasion. I mean, you want to dress for an occasion. But you're not going to be the snazzy dress person in the room. Yeah, I get that too. Uh, What do you think is one of the greatest things you've learned about yourself and and also about the world at large in your years of, of your work? I'd say the greatest thing I learned is that one person can change the world. And each person on the planet right now is one person and each person can change the world. And yeah. it's and it's simply about love. If you love that big, your God is that big. There's the God of love. We say that, you know, the, the great love of God is huge. <laughs> so if you can love that, if you love big, change the world. And what about for yourself? What's something about yourself? I feel the same thing. I don't feel a stop. I don't feel anything can stop me. Um, I feel that if, you know, like bring on the problem. <laughs> I've got people, you know, there are people who would help it. It just, I just think, um, and, and there's such, sometimes I feel self, I don't know if selfish is a word, but I, the joy that, that uh, I get overwhelmed with joy. It's just, you know, what a gift that is. I mean, that's really, I feel full. Yeah. So it's hard to, I you get know. it. I understand okay. what you're saying. Oh, good. <laughs> have you have you had audience with this pope? Oh yeah, yeah. What do yeah. y'all talk about? <laughs> <laughs> so, well, he's Spanish speaking, and I'm English speaking. My Spanish isn't that great. But um, when I'm, um, I've served on a board that brought me to Rome a couple times a year, and then we we get to see him because of a university that I'm on. Does the Vatican sponsors half of it or whatever? But. Um, and so he's just very, um, you can, you can see him listening. It's like he, he grabbed, it's like he grabs you forward to, you know, he wants to know who you are and what you're thinking about. He, that's, you know, it's, but mostly you know, I tell him I'm a sister of St. Joseph. And so, um, you know, and I'm, I, this is what I'm doing right now in my life or something. And he's just, he pulls it in. But he works a lot with the nuns now. There's a lot of groups and committees going on in Rome with the sisters, which is really good. That's new. So that's great. I do get the sense that he has a bigger understanding of the world at large, maybe than some of the others have had. He his humanitarian bone is, you know, flexes a bit more, which is wonderful to see. And maybe that's just the process of of anything as it goes further into itself that as, as any entity moves along and it's, it's being that it, it either grows or it atrophies. Yeah. 
I think so. And I think, too, one of the variables that he has that's different is that he's from a community. He's from a religious community. He didn't come up through just the priesthood. He's, he didn't, he was always part of a community. He's a Jesuit. I love the Jesuits. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and that's a community. The communities wear all the, the corners off of you, you know, <laughs> they round everything out. Yeah. So no sharp edges once you're living in a community. <laughs> yeah. And the thing I think about <laughs> Jesuits as well is that they, their education is so important, but that's, it seems like a very, there's a, it's a curiosity driven yeah. To me, it feels like it's very curiosity driven, which if you're curious about the world around you, you can't help but being a part of an all instead of being the less curious you are. I think the more insular you become and it's it cuts you off from the world. So, yeah. And I think they've had a lot of people who come in with professions that are powerful, like Teilhard de Chardin came in as a physicist. I mean, you know, and then then you go into, you know, quantum theology and I mean you could um you awesome start mixing stuff. it is it's awesome yeah, I'd I love that stuff sister mm-hmm. Irene you are a delight I am extraordinarily happy that you are on the planet and that the work you're doing is <laughs> and you and all all the sisters I mean it's it gives me hope and I think it's it's easy to see darkness because it's what you know pays the newspaper bills and all that stuff but to know that there is this great light and this great love that is operating in the world is it really makes me feel good good I'm glad I'm glad yeah yeah let it wrap around you it's always here yeah so yeah thank you for your time I really appreciate is there any last thoughts you want to maybe a little prayer for the world you want to say or anything like that oh my gosh well I I guess what I'd like just for sisters to know that sisters hold the space so that other people can grow Think of that. So we put our arms around you, feel our arms around you, know that there are prayers happening 24-7. Whether you hear them or not, the energy can reach you. Um, Wrap yourself in them. And I hope everybody has an opportunity to fill up with love. Fill fill up, fill up those holes because it's there. And if you reach out to a nun, if you want, like I said, where if you put your arms out, fingertip to fingertip out there, you'll bump into one. (laughs) We're close. We're close. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for for everything. And thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye bye. Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks. Bye.